You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. As always, I am your host, Daniel Lee, or photos by DLEE. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about are smartphones truly a threat to interchangeable lens cameras or ILCs, as I'll refer to them to make it a bit easier on myself. They're also commonly known that as well, so it's not just me being lazy, don't worry. Going to go over some personal updates, which is kind of related to my gas once again. And also just go over some news topics, quite a few announcements and releases in the past fortnight. So we'll go over them. So to start off as always with what I've been up to, you could kind of say gas struck me again in a sense, but not quite. So what happened was, you know, the M5 has been kind of a undecided thing for me. I like it, but I don't like it. I've wanted to sell it, but at the same time I didn't because my girlfriend uses it quite a bit. But then, you know, I got to looking and the M50 Mark II is actually quite a cheap camera. So at the moment, or well, last week anyway, it was going for about 855 AUD with the kit lens, which is pretty cheap to be honest. I remember when the M5 first came out, I paid over a thousand, I think like 12, 1300 for it as part of the kit. So this is actually pretty cheap. Or maybe that was actually body only if I remember correctly. But anyway, since getting, even using the A7 Mark III and the R6, I could never really like the M5 as much because I just felt the autofocus was lacking so much in comparison. And with that on sale, I figured, hey, why not? Maybe just, you know, put more investment and more use into the EFM system. Especially after I took it out with me a few weeks ago, it was in my photosbydlwe.com blog post and I really liked using it. I love the system. It's just, you know, it is kind of limited with some lenses, but it has a lot of potential and it's something it's small and light enough to carry everywhere with you, which is what I've started to actually do over the past few days. So to sort of sum it up a bit more, I decided I bought an M50 Mark II. So far, I really like the camera. It feels better in some ways compared to the M5. Like, in some ways it feels better built and other ways it feels cheaper. So it's a bit of a mixed barrel in that sense. But otherwise I'm happy with it over the M5. I'm still trying to sell the M5. I don't know if I'll be able to sell it to be honest with the you know age, how long it's been out and the sort of you got the M6 Mark II, the M6, M50. I'm pretty much talking people out of buying if someone was listening to this and wanting to buy it off me. But if I don't buy it, I don't think it's the end of the day. My girlfriend might be a little annoyed with me for spending, you know, before selling it. But she gets herself a travel camera and if she tra- trashes that one like she nearly did before, you know, that's on her, not on me. So, but otherwise, you know, as I said, it's a small camera. I think I want to add another lens to my M50 Mark II lineup. So I think we're going to be going for a small road trip again soon. So I'll probably do what I did last time and just take the M50 with me, Mark II. But I'm thinking either the 16 S- Sigma 16 millimeter or the Sigma 56 millimeter to add to it. I've wanted the 56 for quite some time now. I'd actually buy it if I could, but you can't really afford it right now. What I am thinking is though, when it comes to the wider end, the 16mm, I'd like that one, but I'm still holding hope that rumored that EFM 50mm f2 would come to fruition, because if that one came out, I'd probably prefer that over the f1.4. I'm not going to do Astro, so the f1.4 isn't as useful for me, especially on the M50 Mark II, such a wide focal length, it's not like you're going to get a really shallow depth of field like you would on full frame. But otherwise, aside from that, shooting a lot more, the R6 review, I would say, is about 80% done. I got a bit sidetracked. I've been changing TPE. So if you look at TPE and photos by Dealey, I made them full width. 
the container full width. So what that means is if you don't know, the browser will actually match the size, or sorry, the browser, the content will match the size of the browser. I also decided to sort of revamp mrmeowpuss.com, which is my personal blog. So I'm going to be, I pretty much post about wrestling, TV shows, games, um, might even start doing some videos on there as well. Did try to do a bit of a YouTube thing with that, but didn't really kick off mainly because, you know, I'm a bit lazy. Since finishing uni, I've just been on a bit of a slouch of doing nothing and more relaxing. But that's starting to come to an end now, starting to get back into that productive nature, take more photos, do all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so I revamped that whole website. Looks completely different now in a sense. A lot better in my opinion, but I probably try and do the same kind of thing for TPE eventually. But at the moment, it's more just focusing on finishing off these reviews. Once I can get the photos I need, be good to post them. Two more cityscapes I want to do over the next few days. Hopefully I can get it done because I got a long weekend, five work, five days, thankfully. Otherwise, that will be it for personal updates. What we'll do is probably just get straight into the news. So this news topic will be <laughs> this news topic will be very exciting, so much so that you will run to the store and want to pre-order one. So no, I'm sorry if you use it, but the Rico launches the Pentax K3 Mark III flagship APS-C DSLR. So yeah, yay, Pentax released another camera. So, you know, I was considering not mentioning this because I don't even know how many people use Pentax anymore, but it's got a 25.73 megapixel backside illuminated sensor uh, with an ISO sensitivity up to one point, so 1.6 million. If I remember reading correctly, Pentax actually had the best dynamic range of any camera sensor. I think that's for their full frame one, not the, not the APS-C one, but regardless, they actually can make some decent tech. It's just they're still stuck in that old world of DSLRs. So how well it will sell is another thing. Be interesting to see, but I guess, you know, they could prove everyone wrong. This could be a massive hit and could sell a lot. Apparently it doesn't have an AA filter, which would obviously help in terms of details, but won't help in terms of more, moi, however you want. I honestly can't pronounce that. Apparently it has a shake reduction system, which delivers five axis and 5.5 shutter step camera shake compensation, which is obviously quite a good thing. Aside from that, there's nothing really that stands out that much. Link will be in the show notes if you do want to check it out and see if this is something that would interest you. Next one is quite an interesting one. So Sony has quietly launched the A7R Mark III-A and the A7R Mark IV-A. Now, if you're not familiar with Sony's releasing patterns, these cameras generally come out every two years and it's about two years now. I was more expecting to see an A7R5, but I think they've finally come to the realization that there's not much at the moment that they can push the cameras to make them different. Like for example, the A7R Mark IV, you could probably do some slight changes, but if you push it any further, you'd be sort of maybe making the A1 less useful. So that's why, you know, they really can't push it any further, which technically they did with the A1. They went down in resolution a bit, but went up majorly in features. They didn't really advertise much about this. From what Petapixel found, the main and most dramatic up grade is just the rear LCD screen, which went from 1.44 million dots to 2.35 million dots, which is, you know, quite a huge jump up. I would love to have a rear screen like that while shooting Sony. Apparently the USB port has also been upgraded to USB 3.2 for faster speeds up to five gigabits per second. The Sony logo has been removed from the LCD, which is a strange thing. I don't see why they would need to do that, but otherwise there's not that much changes. It sort of makes me curious why they didn't just put the fully articulating screen on there as well, that would have been an even better upgrade. It's kind of strange why they did that for the A7R Mark III as well. 
My guess is maybe they had a whole bunch of those units laying around and a whole bunch of screens, higher resolution screens laying around, and they don't want to do the A7R5 this year, so they, hey, let's just chuck some free new screens on it, add an A onto it, done new product. But who knows, maybe, you know, this was needed for some other reason that they didn't disclose, but I guess, you know, once these cameras are out in the wild and people use them, maybe they'll find some hidden features that we don't know about. Doesn't really make any mention, I believe, of the menus if the menus have changed, but that would have been one good thing to actually add as well, aside from the articulating screen, is the new menus as well. Next up, a tiny compact lens has been announced by Rokinon. So Rokinon, otherwise known as Samyang, depending on where you live, has released their Astrofocus 24mm f1.8 Prime for Sony E-mount only. Now this lens weighs a tiny 230 grams, which is crazy good be amazing you know for travel and that kind of stuff and it's just 2.8 inches long you know 2.8 inches might not please everyone but for lenses i'm sure i I really i'm sorry for lenses it would be you know really good for a travel compact camera i'm trying to you know be a bit more relaxed here and make a few more jokes but you know the way my sense of humor is my jokes probably aren't appropriate for everyone so i apologize if you're offended by this but yeah so one good thing is they have a custom aperture switch so you can change between two modes which is mode one and mode two, so mode one is a manual focus control, or mode two will be an aperture control switch, which is really good. It's sort of like what the IRF 50mm 1.8 does. You can choose to either make it a control ring or a focus ring. This kind of stuff to me is way better compared to how Sony just put an aperture ring on their lenses. Like it's more limiting in that sense. Like I would rather nothing than have one that's just purely tied to aperture. I would rather have a control ring like what Canon and even Samyang are doing to actually let you choose what you want to put on there. Obviously with them, Samyang, they're just doing it for aperture as well, but to me it looks nice and you got that option. It even has a special mode just for astrophotography. So when you set that to it, it sets the lens to manual focusing mode and it can lock onto infinity focus to make things a bit easier. Apparently there's 11 elements in eight groups and it promises edge to edge corner sharpness for this image. So, I mean, for this lens. So I guess once you, you know, actually get this lens, Give it a try with its stepping motors. You can see if it actually, you know, promises or delivers what it promises. Sample images look pretty decent, I'd say. You know, at this resolution, without pixel peeping, you'd be able to, hard to tell whether it's actually corner to corner sharp. But either way, for the price, for the size, for the weight, and for the length, it seems like a very, very good camera that would make a lot of people happy. I mean, lens, lens, not camera. Last but not least, Canon has appeared to have discontinued a lot more EF lenses. So there's a huge list of these. So pretty much you got like some EFS lenses like the 10 to 22, 15 to 85, 35 to 8 macro, 55 to 250, even some very popular EF lenses like the 135 F2, the 180 millimeter macro, the 70 to 300 F4L. And apparently there's some other lenses are going to be discontinued in 2021, which is the EF 35 millimeter F2 IS USM, which was a really thoroughly used lens by me. It was my favorite lens back when I was shooting with DSLRs. Recently, they discontinued the EF85 L2, I believe it was, but it's pretty crazy that they're going at this rate of discontinuing gear. To me, if they keep supporting the RF mount and keep releasing lenses at a fast pace and they can sort of replace these lenses, then I don't see the issue if they have RF alternatives. I was discussing with a friend that RF lenses here in Australia seem extremely pricey. But when you look at them compared to the, say, Sony GM lenses in the US, there's not much of a price difference. I think I compared with him the 7200. It was 
like a hundred dollars difference US, whereas here in Australia was like nearly a thousand AUD difference. So it's more just stores here are ripping us off or the manufacturer is ripping us off like crazy in Australia. And that's why they seem more expensive, but they're pretty much just matching the competition a little bit higher, but still matching the competition. That isn't across the whole board, you know, like I discussed last week with some lenses that are really old, like the 35 L2 and should be much cheaper, but for certain lenses, it is true. So it's really sort of mixed bag. You can't say for certain which one's better value, which one's not. But either way, I think they're going to keep discontinuing more and more lenses. It'd be interesting if they do the same for bodies as well. But who knows? Well, I guess we'll just have to wait a bit more. Hopefully we get some new lens announcements soon. I would really please, please want some EFM lenses, especially now that I bought the M50 Mark II. That 50mm f2, you know, even though I can't afford it, instant buy straight away. So please, please release that. I guess on to the main topic now. So one thing you commonly see discussed, especially in articles or videos, is the smartphones are killing the camera market. And I personally think they're getting more credit than they deserve. What I want to do is sort of discuss this and see, you know, because I don't think it's just black and white. It's not so simple. It is gray. There's a lot of factors that contribute to camera sales and smartphones and all that kind of stuff that people don't really look. They just like that headline because it's more shock and make people think like, wow, smartphones are that good, you know, especially the smartphone companies. They'll be the ones that sort of push that the most, trying to convince you that you don't need to buy a camera. Just buy their most expensive phone and you'll be fine. What I wanted to do is sort of look at the pros and cons, you know, advantages and disadvantages of each to sort of really see which one has its benefit, you know, wanted to sort of look and see what the benefits of each are and disadvantages and, you know, see if there's any clear cut answer to this question of if they're a threat or not. What I thought I'd do is I'd start with smartphones. So in terms of the pros of smartphones, so one thing, you know, arguably you have to credit them with is their concept, contempt, ah, their computational photography skills. So what I'm talking about is how you got the bokeh filters and that kind of stuff, night filters now. So if you don't know how these work, it's pretty much taking an image. So for example, with the bokeh, it's taking a, for the iPhones, they've done videos and it takes like a image, it measures the depth of it, of the subject, and then it blurs the background based off that. The same with its night mode. What it's doing, it's not so much that it can expose it all in one. It's got like a, 20 stops of dynamic raid sensor. It's taking about 10 photos at once, 10 or more photos at once, exposing for each sort of thing. For the darkest shadows, the brightest highlights, the midtones, it's taking them all and exposing it and then merging it, pretty much bracketing the image each every each and every single shot. So obviously in terms of computational powers, they're really killing it right now. It's also very convenient, you know, the whole the best camera you have is the one you have with you. If you want to take snapshots, yeah, that's good, but could you take a photo of the moon with your smartphone or, you know, take a photo of a bird a few hundred meters away like you could with a 100 to 500 or, you know, 150 to 600? No, you can't do that. So now I'm getting ahead of myself there, but, you know, they are very convenient. Obviously, everyone, almost everyone has a smartphone or a mobile phone. You pretty much always guaranteed to have it with you. So it's the camera that you would likely be able to reach to quicker compared to a normal ILC, especially if you need to change lenses set it up, that kind of stuff. Now, in terms of cheap price, I would say, you know, especially high-end smartphones, they're not so much the cheapest, but when you think about it, not every single person owns a camera or has a need for a camera, yet almost every single person has a smartphone and has a need for one. Because of that, they are kind of cheaper because you're two birds, one stone kind of thing. And depending on where you live, I don't know if it's the same for all countries, but here, you know, you can get contracts like 24 months, you pay the phone off over that with your 
um, normal coverage. So because of that, it does work out cheaper in that sense. In terms of cons, you know, poor low light performance, I'd still say, now when I say poor light light performance, they can still be bad depending on how bad the lighting is, but usually they process and do a lot of heavy noise reduction. So they're not too bad, but I've actually shot DNG, like raw kind of thing on my phone a lot using the Lightroom app. And the noise is really, really bad when you shoot that way. Even something that's not that dark, say I'm shooting at ISO 400, 800 on my camera, the phone will obviously struggle so bad. Obviously it's a lot smaller sensor, smaller pixels, so it can't take in as much light, but it is really, really bad at low ISOs. Limited control. So, you know, some apps that you can control certain aspects of the shooting, like your ISO, that sort of stuff. But when it comes to stuff like aperture, you can never control aperture because it's a fixed aperture lens on the camera because of, you know, how small the smartphone is. They can't have something that can stop down or go wide open. It's just always set to wide open, which also means it does affect the depth of field as well. Pretty much I touched on before, but the computational photography without it, the dynamic range is very, very poor. Files do fall apart really quickly. I have an iPhone XS. I've tried my girlfriend's iPhone 12X Max Pro as well. If you don't do computational stuff like, you know, bracketing, night mode, that kind of stuff, you just shoot one single file or even a DNG, like through the Lightroom app, a HDR DNG, it still has very poor dynamic range. So there's not much leeway when it comes to editing files. In terms of lenses, obviously lenses aren't really an option unless you stack those sort of ones you can clip onto your phone, which putting glass in front of glass would always reduce the quality and it's not ideal and it's not the same as actually shooting with a dedicated lens. I know Sony's cameras do have it, but most, you know, have face detect and stuff, but they don't have eye detect for animals and all those kind of stuff that are sort of unique to cameras. You can use flash. I've seen people use them somehow. I forgot how they do it or, you know, how it would even be that easy to do just for your average person. But this is all the sort of really cons of it. And there are, has to be cons to everything. So do you think there are a lot in terms of, you know, interchangeable lens cameras, IOCs, your DSLR, your mirrorless? better dynamic range and IQ in general. So one thing, generally when we take phones, photos on the smartphone, we view them on our smartphone. So they do look good on that small screen, but how often do you actually look at the photos on a large screen? So I got a 1440p monitor, you know, even when I've looked at on 4K monitors, the photos look pretty bad. They don't look really bad. They, you know, are okay, but to be honest, they don't look great. My Osmo Pocket does take better, you know, that's like a, it's not an ILC, it is kind of like a all-in-one mobile kind of thing, but the Pocket actually takes better quality photos. And with a DSLR, mirrorless, anything, you'll find you obviously have a lot better dynamic range and image quality in general, especially at high ISOs. Once again, you have more control over your image by the fact that you can change lenses, change aperture, like stop down, long exposures, do everything you sort of want with an ILC camera. And also, you know, another pro would be battery life as well. Even the worst battery life for a mirrorless camera, you're only using it for that and you're not using it to check Twitter, check whatever, watch videos, watch YouTube, that kind of stuff. So it is a contributing factor. Also, you know, it's a dedicated camera. You don't have to worry about you're in the middle of trying to take this really good photo and someone calls you or you press the wrong button and you go into an app and a video, blah, 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 sort of thing. So that is, you know, a benefit to a lot of people. And they won't get distracted. You know, you just want to go out for a peaceful time. Technically, you put your phone in airplane mode as well, but certain factors may stop you from doing that. I, for one, when I go out to take photos, I listen to podcasts a lot. So I like to have podcasts playing on my phone, which I don't look at, obviously, while taking my photos, which, you know, 
your camera is your podcast player or your video player might not be possible. The terms of cons of interchangeable lens cameras, I would say definitely more expensive. So when you think about it, you're just getting a camera from that price and often the price, like if you look at say like a Fuji uh, APS-C camera, they can be two grand plus. Even the most expensive iPhone is still a little bit cheaper than that and you're getting a phone in one. So good look at it from perspective. If you can only afford a phone which has a camera on it or a dedicated camera and you're not going to have a phone, I think the majority of people are going to go for the phone, which is why they have the advantage in that sense. They're also generally bigger and heavier, like even something like the M50 Mark II, which is tiny, is still heavier compared to like a, your average smartphone. Even a big phone like my girlfriend's 10s Max might weigh still a bit less, but it's you know still smaller compared to that. And as once again, you can do a lot more on it. And the big thing that I think is more the issue is less computational power. What I mean is, you know, you got your HDR JPEGs, but a lot of the stuff is limited. This is where they can really grow and where they need to grow if they want to sort of compete in the long term. So when you hear all these points, do you think smartphones are a threat? I would say when it comes to IOCs, they still hold the advantage for raw image quality and usability in terms of getting the best looking results, you know, because you can change lenses, better high ISO performance, all that kind of stuff. Mobile's main advantage is for their convenience, price, and the computational abilities. Now, obviously, the two could compete even more. So, for example, if interchangeable lens cameras, ILCs, could improve their computational abilities and somewhat become cheaper and more consumer-friendly, they could definitely compete a lot. So imagine if this is what I would do. Say I own my camera company. So keep the full-frame bodies, you know, the general full-frame bodies, say your R6, R5, you know, R1 kind of stuff as the more enthusiast prosumer kind of bodies and working pros that are just, you know, the same way they are now, but have some hidden JPEG options that you can enable or disable, then release some rebel cameras that act like smartphones, but have the size and the power of a smart, you know, of a DSLR. So what I mean is to say, you know, your current rebel is just a DSLR sort of thing, but what if that one had a different software on it that you could enable? So with that software that's basic, like for example, the M50 Mark II, it has a lot of guides built in and that kind of stuff. What if when you take a photo with your 1855 kit lens and it's a JPEG, you know, you have it set to pure JPEG just because, you know, you want a nice camera that can do a better job. It not only takes a photo. So, you know, say at 55 millimeters F6.3, which is usually the slowest aperture, it's not going to be a very shallow depth of field, but the camera can actually enhance, can read and see what areas are in focus and what areas aren't, and then enhance those out of focus areas and make them look even better. The same as, you know, exposures, it can see what the exposure is and, you know, do the same D and sort of tell you hold steady, take a photo and exposes, you know, five, six, seven photos and merges them. And because you got more data on the sensor and that larger sensor with larger pixels, it would honestly do a much better job than the mobiles. So if you had someone like say Apple implement their software onto a sensor like Canon's, you know, APS-C sensors, I honestly think it would have amazing results. So that's where ILCs could make a huge gain. And the same goes for mobiles. If mobile, if they make a very large phone with a large sensor that can actually can change lenses, then obviously that would be quite big. It would be for a very dedicated market. The average person probably wouldn't buy it. But to me, aside from computational uses, that's the main area they can sort of benefit from and grow. You'll see people that sort of are for computational photography on smartphones, but then complain if, say, Canon bake in noise reduction to their, you know, um, images at low ISOs when you can't really pick and choose. It's the same thing. 
they're editing that because you know I seen an article on Petapixel not long ago where they compared JPEG to DNG to Pro Raw on an iPhone 12s Max. What it was is the JPEG was really good. The Pro Res, um, Pro Raw, sorry, photo, which was like a DNG or Raw, was good. But then both of those were using computational things, so they're pretty much HDR bracketing. Whereas the DNG was just a straight up, straight from the sensor, and it was always lagging behind because the sensor can't keep up. So it's sort of up to you which you think. I personally don't think smartphones are a threat. They have, you know, probably killed the point and shoot market. I don't know if they'll get to the point where they could really affect the APS-C camera market or not. I wouldn't be surprised in the future if we only see full frame and medium format from camera makers, mainly because aside from Fuji, Sony put very little effort into APS-C. Canon and Nikon honestly don't put much effort into APS-C as well. When I used to go to the Sony events, they used to just go on about the full frame advantage and pretty much, you know, try and push the people there to go to full frame. I think full frame is where the money and the distinction is at. But, you know, I don't know if if APS-C went out of, you know, stopped being made, it would be due to smartphones. I think it's more just the cameras companies wanting to focus on full frame and medium format or something. What will happen in the future? Obviously, we don't know. Will smartphones kill interchangeable lens cameras? No, I honestly don't think so. Maybe 20, 30 years from now, if sensor tech maybe is that crazy that you could get the exact same image quality from such a small sensor. But until there's some major breakthrough in that sense, I honestly think interchangeable lens cameras are here to stay. I know for me personally, I would never swap my phone for interchangeable, swap my interchange AOC for a camera, a phone, because I personally don't see it being the same quality and being able to do the same thing. But each person is different. It's whatever you can afford, whatever is convenient to you whatever you like. I hope I discussed that well. Do you agree with me? Do you reckon that, you know, ILC's days are numbered or do you reckon that smartphones don't stand a chance against them? Be curious to hear. Let me know. You can comment. You can reach me at Twitter at Mr. Meowpus or all the show, all this will be in the show links. Otherwise, my personal blog, photosbydowe.com has all my photos, my updates, all that sort of stuff. I do a fortnightly blog post where I just talk over what I've been up to as well as some photos. And of course, thephotographyenthusiast.com, reviews, tutorials. I hope to do some more soon. Got some in mind, just need to record them and uh, finish off that R6 review. I'll probably try and do that one first before anything else. But otherwise, hope you enjoy your week. Make sure to subscribe if you do enjoy and reach out. I'd be happy to hear from any of you and do suggest topics, which I have a link to do in the show notes. So thank you again for listening. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Thank you.